podcast, I was nine years old. I was eight. I'm just stretching dead air. (laughs) I'll cut that out. Cole, after a strange occurrence at a birthday party, admits to... Cole admits to Crow. Cole and Crow. You know what? I can't get through a goddamn single plot summary without (laughs) fucking up names. Um, Here we go. Welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers. I'm Matt Vizell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And we would really love it if you could help us out a bit and rate and review us on iTunes. Yes, please rate and review us on iTunes. And in fact, I just tweeted the link so that it's very easy for everybody to click it and then tab over to ratings and reviews and just do it. It's good for the body, good for the soul, good for the mind. It really, it's good for us. My, my mind Maybe my body too, I'm not sure. But in any case, if you don't follow us on Twitter, we're at SpoilersCast, so plural SpoilersCast, and you can get that link there, or you can look for us in iTunes under There Will Be Spoilers. We're the one with the knife, as you know, if you're listening to this episode. <laughs> our, lovely, our lovely cover art. Is it a cover, really? No. Yeah, I would call it cover art. Oh, it's not like we're a band or anything. Well, or it's our logo, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, it's our podcast art. Yeah, help us out. But let's put all that aside. It's not why you're here. What you're here for is number 89 on AFI's Top 100, The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. Do you see dead people? I see dead people. Well, I don't. (laughs) But I did see this movie. As I mentioned before in the last episode, I've seen it before. I really enjoyed watching it again. Yes, I think this is a movie that gets better each time I've seen it. So how many times did you say you've seen this film now? Oh, God. Uh, probably four or five times at least. I don't know. I saw it a lot when I was younger. Was there ever a time that you didn't know the twist? You know, I probably did the very first time I saw Well, no, maybe not. I think a little girl ruined it for me on the bus. Because you know this movie came out in 1999, so... 1999, yeah. So we were children. With us being young, I feel like i had the same experience where i also had the movie spoiled for me and it's one of those things it's kind of weird because i can't tell you where i had it spoiled for me but it i did right i knew yeah. the, what, what was about before i saw it and so by the time i got around to seeing it maybe 12 or 13 14 years old maybe it wasn't a revelation to me mm-hmm. but the entire time i watched it this time which is only my second viewing i was thinking are there things here that someone might not be able to suss out the twist before, right? Does everyone go yeah. into it knowing the twist? And if not, do they know the twist before the twist is ultimately revealed in the last five minutes of the movie? I mean, I think if you're an astute viewer, you might be able to catch on. But I don't necessarily that I don't know that that necessarily means everybody always does. If you pay close attention and you're you're good with movie tropes. Or just story tropes, really, in general. It might be sort of obvious, but again, it's hard. I I don't know that I have a I've ever had a full, clear viewing of this. I've always sort of known what was going on. I tried to put myself in that mind you know, mindset, that context, and say, if I were just a, 
a viewer who didn't know anything about this film, which of course we'll get in more to with our three questions, what do we owe this film? I wanted to see if there's any way I could figure it out on my own. But of course, the, the way the waves of bias you have just by virtue of the fact that it is such it's so resonant, I guess, yeah. in our cultural context that it was hard to associate for myself. And once you know the twist, I think the film is actually more interesting on a reviewing because you can see all of these little things that are easily missed throughout the film that you that all of a sudden make sense now. Right, absolutely. And that's what I made my mission, really, to try to suss out those small details. Yeah. And I think, and I suspect, this is the same case with something like Blade Runner, which, as we know... Mm-hmm. I've only seen once now, right? And infamously had not seen it at all. Seen it once, and then we had that long discussion, and we had Dr. Rich Cooper come in and yes. uh, weigh in on it also. So I suspect it's a similar issue here. And we were very skeptical before this episode, before we had watched the film again, that why this was number 89 on the list. We won't get into perhaps the virtues of the film just yet, because what I want from you is a plot synopsis. Yes, which I can provide you, my friend. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. The Sixth Sense follows the story of Dr. Malcolm Crow, who's a successful psychiatrist in Philadelphia. After winning a huge award, Crow and his wife celebrate at home. As they get ready for bed, they realize that someone's broken into their home. It's one of Crow's old patients who claims Crow failed him. He shoots Crow and then himself. The following fall... Crow meets Cole Sear, a young boy who's particularly troubled. He notes that Cole's case is similar to Vincent's, his failed patient. He works with the boy while seeing his own marriage dissolve. Cole, after a strange occurrence at a birthday party, admits to Crow that he sees ghosts all around him. Crow's unsure what to do and tells Cole that he can't help him. However, when Crow reviews his interview tapes with Vincent, he hears an electronic voice phenomenon, Uh, and realizes that Vincent, too, saw ghosts. So Crow returns to Cole and suggests Cole listen to the ghosts and try to help them. Despite his fear, Cole takes Crow's advice. After helping reveal that a young girl's mother was poisoning her and eventually killed her, Cole finds that he can silence the ghosts by helping them. Cole's life becomes a lot better, and after performing as the lead in the school play, he suggests Crow talk to his wife while she's asleep, assuring him that she'll listen. Shortly after, Cole reveals his gift to his mother and convinces her by relaying a message to her from her dead mother. So Crow goes home and tries talking to his sleeping wife. Her responses while asleep reveal that he died the night he was shot. He's a ghost. And now that he's helped Cole and assured her that of his love, he passes out of the land of the living. And that is the end. Yeah, so there's a lot of things that I want to drill down on here. Um, Mm -hmm. We typically kind of gloss over the plot and move on to the themes and things like that. I think the plot is actually very strong in this film, which is kind of unusual saying that in 2017 with an M. Night Shyamalan film. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> right, because this is this is the Ur Ammonite Shyamalan film. I mean, this is probably the the best film he made, and since then, his films have sort of dropped off increasingly in terms of like watchable movies, even. Yeah, I think Signs came shortly after this, and I still really like Signs. I like Signs as well. Everything beyond that kind of fell. Uh, yeah, I think Signs in the Village are the point where his sort of oeuvre 
starts to really where he's on shaky ground because then it's the happening after that isn't it yeah i think the happening and then that movie about the the like she's like a mermaid or something lady in the water lady in the water which i saw in theaters and it's not a bad movie but it's just not so this is the thing sixth sense establishes a pretty strong formula for an m night Shyamalan movie right which is that it's a very character-based plot-driven thriller horror sort of film that has a really big twist at the end that changes the way you see the rest of the movie and that pretty much describes sixth sense the village even signs to an extent yeah to a much lesser degree but but that all being said i i am kind of interested in seeing his newest movie 23 what is that about about a man that abducts three young women and has 23 personalities the 23rd is some crazy they always kind of in the commercial they make it seem like it's some hulking brute sort of demonic or something i'm not sure it looks interesting enough to to try but i don't really see skeptically (laughs) yeah but let's focus back on the sixth sense yes a couple things i wanted to mention uh when i first started the film they're sitting at home he's just received this award from the city of philadelphia and we get a bunch of exposition but i actually think it's well done exposition because by reading the plaque his wife sort of communicates to us the audience everything we need to know about crow and his job and what he's done and then you have actually donnie Wahlberg breaking into the house and so i thought that was very well done yeah and so much about this movie is great like like you said the exposition is so well not i guess translated right i mean we it's really easy to understand what's happening it doesn't feel terribly heavy-handed it's not it's not the harrison ford voiceover (laughs) you know which i was thinking of yeah yeah these things come out naturally and and you learn exactly what you need to know no more no less to keep the plot going and so many of these shots are so well done just to go back to that the the mirror well i guess it's not a mirror the the plaque which is got a mirror sheen right where you see Mm -hmm. him and his wife reflected in it but you can also read the words there are so many of these shots that are you know where you see cole reaching his hand to open the the door nothing feels too hokey right it's all sort of a little uncanny and just well shot and well paced it's great it's great i forgot how great this movie was well it's also kind of funny the beginning you start off he's drunk and he talks like dr seuss when he's drunk (laughs) that's a funny little detail you know that's a good bit of character work yeah i mean we get in in the what five minutes that that opening scene is you understand everything you need to know about crow what kind of guy he is what his relationship with his wife is you know that they really you know he really does care about her and she really does you know she's very concerned with him you can see how easily you know yeah he's convincing as a child psychiatrist they're they're very much in love but he's also put his work up beyond her which we understand because she says like you know even after sacrifice you sacrifice so much you know even time with me and things like that yeah and then of course former patient breaks in shoots him with his own gun which I actually picked up on because I saw what I thought was a holster outside of his bag. And I was like, is there a gun missing? Yeah. And of course he shoots him with it. And then he even says, as he's he's holding the bullet wound, did Vincent get my gun? Yeah. Which I felt, you know, that coupled with the, the scene in which 
Cole sees the boy enter his room with the back of his head blown off, says, come here, I'll show you where my dad keeps his gun. Yeah. It, not that it matters. It's It just seems like a very, like, they're like, they kind of went out of their way to say guns are bad. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things that is just great about that movie, that you don't have to really, I mean, it's really sort of a throwaway thing, but there is, in just one little wrinkle, a sort of, like, lock up your guns. Like, yeah. you know, it's even on that level, it's trying to say, like, it, don't fuck up. Lock up your guns. Which I guess is one thing I don't understand about Crow's character is that he really doesn't seem like a guy that would carry a gun. Right. I mean, I know this is diehard's Bruce Willis, but yeah. he's a child psychiatrist, <laughs> and he just left it in his satchel in the room. It just doesn't seem like a thing that, I don't know, maybe he's irresponsible those kinds of things. Hey, Philly's a dangerous place. <laughs> yeah, know. no. And I was thinking about this also that Philly is like the only city, one of the only cities this could be this could take place in because it's such an old city comparatively. Yes. With that's what something America I, has. Exactly. I thought about that too. I mean, this is a ghost story on a lot of different levels. And so certainly placing us in Philadelphia there, I mean, there's certainly, I think there's a reading that could be done that involves thinking about the ghosts of America's past, right? Liter- and in literally we see some of the ghosts of America's past, the people that are hung in the, in what's now the school hanged horses are hung. hanged Ethan. you're right people you're right. are hanged <laughs> god damn you're right but the people that are hanged well they might the, they might have been hung i don't know <laughs> I, that's something that's some subtext there matt there will be spoilers always classy always keeping it classy keeping it classy 50 percent class in this podcast 50 percent wait a second no don't don't look into it too deeply <laughs> So I did want to bring up the sort of dig on our profession. Crow is a psychiatrist, but he's also heavily an academic, right? He's got a bunch of books in the basement. He's always mm-hmm. leaping through and figuring stuff out with. His deteriorating relationship is only made possible by this sort of stereotypical academic mindset or disposition where, oh, you're, I'm going to give you space. I'm not going to force the issue. I'm not going to demand that you speak to me. And yeah. only toward the end does he start losing his shit when he, you know, his wife is about to kiss this other man, which, you know, he's been dead for, it says next fall. So it's, you know, anywhere from six to 12 months that he's been dead. So, I mean, yeah, so there is, and I think there is something in this film about inaction and sort of observing rather, rather than trying to influence something, which is a very sort of academic-y idea, right? Mm-hmm. That you just observe, if you just observe something and you let it play itself out then you can make sense of it. Well, Crow says as much, right? He says, yeah. when Cole asks him about it, he says, we, what we try to do here in his profession, he says something along the lines of, we ask questions to try to get you to think about things you might never think about. It's when he's talking about free association. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. There is something to be said about inaction. So let's formally move ourselves into themes. Welcome, we've yeah. arrived. Welcome, hello. Let's talk about more about this inaction thing. So as a psychiatrist, action is not really the first thing you'd think of. And that's not mm-hmm. in any way disparaging of that profession. Right. But it's to say that they are, you know, they're the conduit to get someone to understand their issues and try to work through them. Yeah. The same way, you know, I use conduit very deliberately there because what is coal if not a conduit for the dead? Yeah. I think even that same scene kind of keep us in that, that free association thing. It's he's explicitly a conduit because he's writing these papers that are, full profanity and this is right after the scene where cole and crow are walking and crow Mm -hmm. says bullshit and cole looks at him like how could you say the s word (laughs) yeah 
So I think that's very deliberate. Another, another good tell about character work and plot development. Yeah. That we see that this kid's not capable of that kind of stuff. So what's going on? Is he seriously disturbed? No, it's right. almost like these ghosts are literally speaking through him. Yeah, and I and I think, uh, especially on this viewing, that the film does a pretty good job. If you don't know the conceit in the end, the twist, I think there it does give you enough sort of uncertainty about Cole's state, right? Mm-hmm. because you know it, it does in a lot of ways i mean you, you could without knowing the ending he does sound sort of like a schizophrenic you know and that and that maybe there's something seriously wrong and this film plays with you know reason in the supernatural in a really interesting way right it balances this sort of like rational science of you know psychology psychiatry up against ghosts Mm-hmm. Right, I mean, the main character in this film, or at least one of the two, is is a is a scientist, basically a psychiatrist, who's not he's who's not a ghost, a ghost. <laughs> right? Who ends up being a ghost, right? Yeah, and they are equated, right? Because the ultimate solution, the way Cole can actually heal from this and move on with his life, is that he has to perform psychiatry almost with yeah. these ghosts. Like Crow is performing psychiatry with Cole himself, right? Right, so he yeah. Says, when he sees the girl, who's actually Misha Barton. Is that really Misha, Misha Barton? Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, wow. When he sees her, he runs away from her, comes back, and then he says something like, well, what do you need from me? What do you want from me, right? He seeks to help. Yeah. Which eventually leads to the Munchausen by proxy scene. Right. Where he finds the videotape of the mother. Looks like some kind of cleaning agent she's yeah it looks like pine saw or something it looks like pine saw yeah i'm not sure when munchausen by proxy became sort of in the public eye we've seen it a lot after that point it was in true detective if you saw the first season of true detective mm-hmm. but it's it's kind of a popular tense or dramatic conceit now yeah and it's obviously very well done in the movie and although that, that was that reminds me and i want to bring this up throughout the film the use of red is really interesting and at times a little heavy-handed and i would argue that the scene with the where he, cole goes to the funeral of that girl to, in order to give the tape to prove that you know the mom poisoned her the mother's in a red suit or a i, I don't think it's a pantsuit there's probably a skirt or whatever but she's in a red getup at her mm-hmm. daughter's death and and it's clear throughout the film that like red signifies you know there's a ghost of, present well there's a ghost present or that you know there's some sort of specialness or whatever i mean i think because cole's often in red you know the red balloon pops when when he goes up and hears the ghost in the attic and so it it, it it's clearly focuses something about you know the supernatural or difference and that i felt was one where it's like what the f-? like that's a little heavy-handed the mom who's killing your daughter's wearing red at her funeral you'd wear black well it's hard to say right because she is obviously very sick mentally going mm. back to you know action in action and yeah. you, they sort of pan around the room at this well-attended funeral i know there were a lot of people at the funeral. so many people where one guy says yeah i just heard that the little one's now sick so she yeah. kills off one daughter munchausen by proxy does not have any traumatic revelation from that and then continues to poison the younger daughter right it's kind of insane 
Well, and that actually, that that little moment, too, where you hear, because there's like three lines in a row from different people as you sort of pan through that, the living room of the house, and that one where he's like, the little one's getting sick, too. And th- there's like another one that's like, oh, she was so young. Oh, my husband died of cancer so hard. And knowing, because it's not clear at that point, right, until after you see, until the end of that scene, what has happened. That That's another one that I felt was like, this film, it's almost perfect, but it's got those couple of moments on a second watch that I was like, it's like the baker. Oh, I wonder if he's baked the bread today. Oh my goodness, I had some toast this morning. <laughs> well, see, I'm not so worried about something like that because it's only five minutes later that that's paid off. I know. So I know. it's it doesn't really, it's not like they drop a heavy lead at the beginning and then wait for the last five minutes to show it. Uh, but speaking about the sort of symmetry or completeness of this film. I think a lot of things are tied up pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. A couple of things I didn't like, though, was when uh, the scene itself, where Cole and his mother talk about the grandmother, I think it's very well done. I just think it's strangely placed. Like, they kind of knew they wanted that scene, mm-hmm. and it's a great scene, and it's very well acted. It's very emotional yeah. and very tense at the very beginning of it. But it's sort of placed kind of haphazardly at the end of the film when they really didn't it's almost like they didn't have a better place to put it like maybe that should have been closer to the end of the second act the beginning of the third act maybe i'm not sure where that would go but it just seemed like it was kind of ran out of space for that scene they're like we'll just dump it in and then Mm -hmm. we can have our big finale which that scene i actually had some problems with because you know maybe people do speak to ghosts in their sleep we can kind of Except that, yeah, right? as strange as that seems, as a, a way to sort of act for the closure of this. But having us rewatch footage we've already seen in the film to say like, oh, did you get it? Did you see? Yeah, like, yeah, I get it. You don't have to do that. Please stop. And maybe that's just a pet peeve where someone else is like, oh, I totally get it now. This makes a lot of sense. Whereas I would have rather that stuff not happen, and then just show him with the blood in the wedding ring. In the same clothes, which I assume he's been in throughout the film. Yeah, it is. It's it's all the things that he's he's got in the first scene. Nothing because yeah. because even his sweater, I think you you see him move the sweater or pick up the sweater or something like that. So everything it's something that he's dealt with in the first scene. Yeah, and you know normally I would take the same sort of issue with that with flashing back to something we've seen like forty five minutes ago. But I think it does so in such a way that, like, and it, because it doesn't give us every single moment that he he's a ghost and ghostly. No, but it doesn't happening. give us some like great ones either. She takes the check from the waiter and he tries to get it, and, and that's the moment you want to show us. Like that's the one. I don't really see how that's. Incredibly yeah, no, impactful. I I just think I don't know. I think it's normally I would take issue with that scene, but I think it's well done. And also just to loop back to your complaint about the the Cole revelation to his mother scene, it does kind of feel strangely placed, but I think placing it where it does shows us that really the main character of this film is Bruce Willis's character, right? It's, we get Cole's resolution and yeah, it's great for him, but like the story is really, it's bookended by Bruce Willis and it's about Bruce Willis's sort of transformation which he then you know he's a he's a catalyst or a or perhaps a conduit I, you know i like that concept that you were talking about for cole it's about him it's about him helping cole and finding his own 
is it? I feel like it's about Cole overcoming this major obstacle in his life. Everyone thinks he's crazy and is a freak and his mother doesn't know what to do. And her character is very well constructed, right? The first scene we see of her, mm-hmm. she's putting on her clothes and she's, you know, she's not dressed to a point of, I wouldn't say decency, it sounds so old fashioned, but like we get the single mother that dresses just a little too provocatively. Like we get what that trope is, that image. Yeah. And, and of course they cast an, a very good looking actress. And so there is, you know, sort of the lower class working mom mm-hmm. implication. Maybe, you know, she maybe she is a little too provocative. Right, and just a troubled home, father's left, right, all this stuff. We, we understand yeah. it, right? These are very, this is very trodden ground, and that's yeah. fine. I think it does favors for this film, right? Because it just gives us a shorthand for it. Yes, it is. And we, we get all that stuff. And sure, Crow is the catalyst. Bruce Willis's character is the catalyst for all this stuff. But he dissolves into white in the film. Whereas Cole has the ability to continue helping people, you know, similar to the way that Crow helped people. He's just not a child psychiatrist. He's a ghost psychiatrist, but he does <laughs> actual work. You know, he prevents ostensibly the death of the second little girl. Right. And puts to right the first death. Well, and pr- yeah, I mean, he, exactly. So I think it's about Crow making right what he failed at right and that and and that leads to his deal with cole i feel like it's maybe two it's like a circle within a circle by completing crow by him completing his super objective he then allows cole to continue to help people which is what crow is all about in the right at the beginning he he's someone who helps people yeah but i think i want to go back to your action and action theme and just kind of i want to put more emphasis on cole as the main character as opposed to crow because thinking of action in action crow is inactive and simply because well he's a ghost right so he can't talk to his wife and they set up a lot of tense scenes and what's believable that you know they conceivably wouldn't be talking to each other right mm-hmm. and those are good but when we go to Cole's scene, he's actually doing stuff, right? He's either at school having episodes, it seems like, or he sees ghosts and either confronts or runs away from them. Those are very active, fight or flight. Whereas Crow doesn't engage really, and I understand like it's not—it's really not a knock on the film at all because he right. he literally cannot engage with things. Well, right. I, but I think maybe that's kind of his flaw, and I think maybe that's what he's trying to make right is that. He could have done more, but didn't, and then that gets him killed, right? Mm-hmm. And so he literally won't. He can't die. He can't go move past. Well, I don't know, but I don't know if he made any. If he had any fault with Vincent's case, because he too was seeing ghosts, and the only reason he's able to help Cole is because he has this prior knowledge of. Okay, maybe he's actually not crazy, right? They did a very, very nice thing at the beginning where he has the two sheets. One's Vincent and one's Cole, and he mm-hmm. circles the three things that are similar between the two, and you draw that comparison very early on. Yeah. But there's no conceivable way he can help Vincent at that time. I mean, uh, yeah, but it, but he doesn't help him. I mean, we, we don't have to fault him for not being able to help him because he doesn't have all the tools or isn't willing to sort of entertain you know the supernatural which you know you can't fault him for you can't blame him for that but he certainly is beaten up about it i mean his two the two things he won he needs to do before he fades to white right is make sure that his wife knows that he loves her 
before everything else and fix what he couldn't do with one person for somebody else. Mm-hmm. He's torn up about it. I, I you know, and I, so. No, I think you're right. I think we've dwelled on this for quite some time. Yeah. But there's just one more thing I wanted to point out, just going back to these little tiny details, this second viewing or third or fourth or fifth viewing kind mm-hmm. of thing where you, you're looking for those signs. When he's in the church the second time mm-hmm. and he has all those soldiers and toys laid out above, yeah. so, so you want to play, you can be Lance Corporal so-and-so from yeah. this province, which is like, that's that totally has to be one of the ghosts he's encountered, right? It sounds like a oh, Vietnam yeah. War vet. Because it's so specific, a Lance Corporal so-and-so and I think he says, like, one of the provinces that was a mm-hmm. Vietnamese province. I can't recall the specific one. I'm not going to try. But I was like, whoa, is that, like... Well, and, and that was a moment that actually did stand out to me this time around as something I hadn't really noticed before. And I think on the surface... So this is why this film is great. On the surface, that plays as he's just, like, a weird little kid who is really into you know, his toy soldiers, right? Like, that doesn't mm-hmm. strike you, you know, we've already sort of established him as, a, like, a loner, and, uh, you know, he's a troubled kid, and so, like, maybe one of the ways that his, whatever, his disorder or whatever it is, you know, is manifesting is in this, you know, almost, it's almost like an autistic sort of thing, right? To, like, yeah. have this intense knowledge of something. But I, and, and so that, I was like, huh, that's, like, a nice little thing. He's, he's a weird little kid, right? At the very least, he's just a weird little kid. But that, uh, I didn't even think about it being the ghost. That's great. And you're probably right. Yeah, and that's also carried through with things like knowing about the courthouses or sordid history and also stuttering Stanley, knowing someone's personal past. So he has has access to forbidden knowledge, Mm -hmm. not in a Lovecraftian way, but just stuff that he would not have access to if he were just in line with the living, right? He's got this, he's the conduit to the other side. Right, things he should not know. And with that, I think we'll take us to the pivotal scene. No surprise, it is the I see dead people scene. Just before we jump into this, it that scene gets better each time you see it. That slow, or the slow move into um, Bruce Willis's face. Just Bruce Willis's face being hearing that because you can see he's trying. He's trying to work it out, but not show you that he's trying to figure out what to do. And Haley Joel Osment, oh, it's frightening even now. Yeah, and a lot of the visual stuff obviously will be lost on our listeners yeah, because sorry, it's just an audio podcast, but you can obviously <laughs> look this up. It's everywhere all over YouTube where to get it legally or buy it or something, right? So, um, But I also have included Bruce Willis's rambling, terrible bedtime story, oh, yeah. uh, which shows his ineptitude with things like having children, yeah. but you know, not with treating children. So right. let's go ahead and take a listen. Let us. Did your father used to tell you bedtime stories? Once upon a time, there was this young prince. And he decided that he wanted to go for a drive. And he got his driver, and they started driving. Driving, driving. Driving a lot, and uh, um, they drove so much that he fell asleep. And he woke up, and he realized they were still driving. This was a very long trip. Dr. Crow, you haven't told bedtime stories before? Uh, not too many, no. 
we have to add some twists and stuff. Okay, some twists. Like what kind of twists? Give me an example. Maybe they run out of gas. They run out of gas. That's good because they're driving, right? Tell okay, me a story so... about why you're sad. You think I'm sad? What makes you think that? Your eyes told me. I'm not supposed to talk about stuff like that. Once upon a time, there was this person named Malcolm. He worked with children. He loved it. He loved it more than anything else. And then one night he found out that he made a mistake with one of them. He couldn't help that one. And he can't stop thinking about it. He can't forget. since then things have been different he's not the same person that he used to be and his wife doesn't like the person that he's become they barely speak anymore they're like strangers and then one day Malcolm meets this wonderful little boy really cool little boy reminds him a lot of the other one. And Malcolm decides to try and help this new boy. Because he feels that if he can help this new boy, be like helping that other one too. How's the story end? Okay, so that's probably ingrained in your brain by now, the I See Dead People. We understand that. It's yeah. a big cultural touchstone. But I think before we jump into our three questions, maybe we should push out our theses here. Yeah, I think we should. 
So, Ethan, why don't you start us off? I will. And I don't know if if I'm totally married to this, but this is what I sort of... Oh, that's a, that's a shocker. Ethan, not <laughs> entirely sure about his thesis. I should put together like a super clip of every time you read your thesis. And it's just like, well, I don't know, but eh, perhaps... <laughs> Maybe, you know, guys, I don't know about this. Right, yeah. This Maybe isn't the best one I've done. <laughs> the best one I've done. <laughs> because my, I, my ideas change as we talk about it. But anyway, so this is what I've got. In order to truly live, one must be able to self-reflect while also being willing and open to helping others. It's about sort of fulfilling, to fulfill whatever you have, you know, to live, to be and alive. And it also calls back to that action and action thing you were talking about. Yeah. So mine is sort of a corollary to yours, but I think it goes into a slightly different place, which I really like the interplay between these two. And mine is coming to grips with life through death is actually how we navigate life, right? So the way you make it through mm-hmm. life is to understand there is death, and that's kind of the the catalyst for all the sort of trials in life. Mm-hmm. But... In death, there's also closure, and that closure gives us hope. So we get the sense that Cole and his mother, they're going to be okay because she has gotten closure with her mother, which sort of heals their relationship as a mother and son. And also that she, on a different level, says, like, my son's not crazy. He has a gift that he's special, and I need to start treating him that way. So there's a there's a good moment there when that becomes really clear. And, of course, the even more clear one is the very next scene, Bruce Willis really dissolving into white because he has come to an understanding with his own death and the closure of his relationship with both Cole and his wife, Anna. Well, yeah. And and that's what I'm sort of trying to get at with this idea of like being able to sort of self-reflect, whether that is in your like interactions with the world, which we see, you know, there's that, you know, Cole says ghosts see what they want to see. And then we get that little super cut of him like, here are the here's the proof you're a ghost no one's actually interacted with you and being able to sort of like self-reflect about the your work as a doctor your work as a husband and be able to say like yes i really did love you or whatever you know what i mean if you can sort of look at yourself and see these things then you can begin to help others and become open to helping others and 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 then i don't know fulfill whatever so that you can go off into the great beyond i don't know yeah, and I think of all of Shyamalan's movies that I've seen thus far, I think this one has some of the best message in it. Signs also has a pretty good one there at the end. Yeah. But this really kind of gives you life advice. You know, you have to come to grips with death in order to actually live, right? Living yeah. is commingled uh, irrevocably with death. Yeah. What do you say we move on to our three questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so the first question, as we all know, is do we care about this film? Yes, we do. Absolutely. Yeah. I wrote down on my notes here, yes, exclamation point. Yeah. And now I want to get into the reasons why that is. And as we've sort of alluded to these things, I want to make them explicit now. Here, plot's are very good, right? There's not a whole lot of loose mm-hmm. ends. There's some things that you're like, well, would he do that or does that make sense? And the answer is, well, if ghosts just see what they want to see and their sense of time mm-hmm. is not right... And he even says as much, oh, I'm losing track of time, yeah. Losing track of time, yeah, exactly. That sort of solves those things for me. So I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for these rare moments when these things don't go perfectly. Yes. And I think if I had, I wish I was at a point where I didn't know the twist. 
I and know. funnily enough, I don't think my wife does. Oh. And so I'm going to sit her down and have her watch uh. it. And it might like bleed through. She might be like, oh, is this the one? But I hope that doesn't happen. I hope she actually gets to have a pure viewing of this. And I can get oh. like sort of an unadulterated reaction to this film. So I'm yeah. looking forward to that. And I'll definitely fill you in if that happens. Yes. Oh, that would be great. What do we owe this film? This, I think, is and will be for many years to come this sort of like er plot twist film because certainly there were other films and stories in general with strong plot twists that blow your mind and there will be many more to come and some that may have done it better and some that will probably do it better but this one just does such a goddamn good job and how many times it's referenced and parodied and all these things yeah and and so the fact that that you know it has become something so beyond itself because that just that i see dead people you know and that's really actually not the the big twist the big twist is that bruce willis is dead yeah but that's the shorthand for it right it's the i see yeah. dead people stands in for oh my gosh bruce willis was dead the entire time right you could do this you could make this movie very bad very easily and maybe some of M. Night Shyamalan's other movies illustrate this very well because it's, right. it follows the formula. And and even in, in films like The Village, right, which is a big plot twist film that this movie does it so well and we see it not work so well in The Village, which you can only watch once, really. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie, not only does it have a great twist, it has a great twist that stands up to repeated viewings and has become such such a, a cultural touchstone and will remain. I mean, it just, it has to. It, it, I think it melds so many things. It melds, you know, there's a sort of father-son dynamic. There's the ghost story, obviously. You know, it has things to say. Even in throwaway moments, it has something to say about guns. It has something to say about the state of single mothers. So there's and just bullying so much. And, and yeah, child bull- violence. Right, yeah. It's just, it does all of this and... We, and we can also, you know, pack it down just to that one little, that one line. I see dead yeah. people. Every time I think of the I see dead people, I think, what is it, scary movie? Yes. I see white people. <laughs> yeah, the one of the Wayans brothers, I can't remember which, but I think that's his line in that film. And that's one of the, you know, more recognizable parodies of this. But yeah, yeah. I wrote down in my notes here, it's, it's a major cultural touchstone. Pretty much said the exact same words I did in that. And it's because... It's certainly a movie of our generation. We knew about it when we were younger. Mm-hmm. It might have still been sort of taboo at that age for us to have seen it. So it's kind of, you know, the trickled down the idea of the film. Yeah. And so it's something that we knew about and we had to see eventually. And it, we, it was all understood that this was a sort of a moment, really. Yeah. And it's just a, and it's just a film of, of general dread. It's, it's, and it's scary. It's a scary movie. It's very tense, yeah. And I watched it the week my wife was going to be out of out of town, and I started reflecting on that and saying like, "Maybe that wasn't a great idea." Uh, Gotta go to bed soon. You're dead, Matt. Because I'm dead. She's not here. That's why your wife's out of town. She's she's moving on. Yeah. So (laughs) that's a scary thought. But you know what really affirmed this for me that I wasn't dead. If people would rate and review us on iTunes, oh. I would know that I was living. You could say, you know what you should do? All right, this is a plea. Okay. If you could go to iTunes and when you rate and review it, give whatever stars you think we're worth. And then you say, Matt is alive, period. That's it. 
That would and be so if it shows up on iTunes and there's just a bunch of reviews that say Matt is alive, then that would be very confusing for someone, and I'd really appreciate that. Yes, this is our call to action, and tweet about it too. Tweet, tweet, tweet yeah, at us. Hashtag Matt is alive. Hashtag Matt is alive. Unless you think Matt is dead, then you can give a hashtag. Then you can Matt is hashtag dead, Matt, is, Matt is dead. Yeah, two sides to this coin here. Oh. But let's move on to our last question. You already yeah. know the answer to this. Does it hold up? Yes. Fuck yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just—I mean, there's not like any really special effects. Everything's practical, right? The fake gun going off and all these things like that. So that's like the one time you could say, "Oh, does this look real?" or something like that. And yeah, yeah. And the thing too is that it's fairly—it's sort of like how *Silence of the Lambs* is a film that, I, and I, and we'll get to *Silence of the Lambs*. Oh yes, we will. That is a film that the costume design and the set design and all of that is on point and fairly timeless it you know aside from certain things i mean obviously no one's walking around with a cell phone in this film but Mm -hmm. at the same time the the costume design is not i don't think it's too overtly late 90s they're not like driving around in 90s cars although i did laugh when i saw costume design by so-and-so i was like yeah okay they were close (laughs) right i mean but but think about it i mean the idea that what does Bruce Willis wear throughout this film? He wears a sweatshirt. And a suit. And a suit. And, you know, you you could almost play this for a brand new audience and say, you know, I mean, this... One thing I'll give it away, though, is the child's birthday party. The mm. 90s ass, backwards hat, yeah. t-shirt, and unbuttoned, short sleeve, button-up shirt. You're like, oh, man, I dressed like that when I was that age. That's terrible. Yeah, the children's fashion might be one of the like sort of tips, but in general, I mean, this is something that doesn't date itself in right. a way that like even Blade Runner does in that sort of like eighties, you know. And the music isn't; it's not like bleeps and bloops that are that's mm-hmm. sort of very eighties. It doesn't it's not feel, like it's not like heavy synthesizer, which you might expect. Right. It's everything is very understated in this film, and and I think this is a story that doesn't need flare and explosions and things that and things that date it it's not a technology laden story it really it's about relationships i guess the rewinding the tape recorder but that's yeah i mean that that, there are a few instances i think yeah that's still very minor but nothing particularly jarring in the way that like other films may sort of immediately date themselves and so like i said i feel like it's like silence of the lambs that like you could watch that and be like well yeah, it's like what seventies, early eighties, but it doesn't. You don't. It it doesn't feel like it's fetishizing an older period. It's it's a story that the story is more important, and everything else sort of melds in and makes it. It just works. Yeah, you're right. So I think you know, you, it's funny you bring up the Sons of the Lambs because that is not our next film. No, <laughs> our next film is actually number eighty-eight, bringing up baby, and we're hoping to see you there. Or hear you there, provided or, I'm alive. Or you'll hear us, except for Matt, since he's dead. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's still on the table. It still remains to be seen. I guess so. But until next time, I have been and may have just had been Matt Bazell. <laughs> I'm definitely Ethan Knight, and I'm pretty sure I'm alive. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers. Spoilers.
There Will Be Spoilers was hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. We were produced by Matt Bazell. Our music is by the enigmatic Breakmaster Cylinder. You can find his music all over the internet and Google him. Our artwork was by Becca Knight. You can follow her on Twitter at Becca the Knight with a K, or you can find her website at nightdraws.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can follow us on Facebook at There Will Be Spoilers. And you can shoot us an email if you want at SpoilersCast at gmail.com. We plan on answering emails on our off-week podcast, so be sure to send in your questions or comments. And finally, please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and or SoundCloud. And review us, please. Thanks for listening. Maybe I'm not losing my temper. I'm merely trying to play some golf. Well, you choose the funniest places. This is a parking lot. Will you get out of my car? Will you get off my running board? This is my running board. All right, honey. Stay oh, 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 oh. You look perfectly idiotic in those clothes. These aren't my clothes. Well, where are your clothes? I've lost my clothes. But why are you wearing these clothes? Because I just went gay all of a sudden. No, but David, you don't realize how important this is. It's about the leopard. He's making the most terrific brothers out there. He's hungry and we've got to feed him. Well, I can't help that. Uh, uh, what, Alice, dear? No, it's somebody on the line. Keep quiet, Susan. David, you've got to help, but this can't wait. There are eight million people in this house, and if they hear him, why, they'll think that something terrible has happened. Oh, well, I don't know what time it is. When you hear the tone, the time will be 7.37 and one quarter. Oh, Susan, please, please. Alice, you see, I can't hear you. I... When you hear the tone, the time will be 7.40. When you hear the tone, the time will be 7.40 and one half. Pardon me, the time is 8.10. <laughs> when you hear the tone, the time will be No, the, the time, uh, my watch shows 8.10 and a quarter. I, uh, oh, yes. Who am I? Uh, am 8.10. Uh, uh, Major Horace Applegate, I... Uh, what do you want? Uh, Mrs. Randall you... invited me for dinner. Would you please find out if she still wants me? She's hung up. She, uh, oh, well, so am I. <laughs>